Griner Auto Body of Washington, Iowa, using state-of-the-art techniques and decades of experience to get your car back on the road after an accident, and Car Doctor of Washington, Iowa. No matter who Frankensteined it, they can fix and clean and customize it. Present Round Guy Radio Southeast Iowa today. I'm John Bain, author of Christie's Journey, The Beat Goes On, and your host. On today's episode, I'm visiting with Chris Chastow, Impact Life's community health educator. Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, John. Oh, you're quite welcome. Now, Chris, you manage 150 blood drives in five counties, and one of those counties is right here in southeast Iowa in Washington County, correct? Yes, I think I have the most drives in Washington County. So, Wow. I, 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 yeah, I really love it. I've been doing this for about 15 years, and uh, my husband and I like to come and frolic in Washington County when we can get away and go out to Lake Darling and, you know, stay above Dodici's in town and have dinner. And, you know, so uh, it's kind of become a, a home away from home. It feels like a really comfortable place. It's about the same size as Silvis, Illinois, where we live. So, Well, you definitely, uh, you definitely named some popular places here in this area that I know I myself like to frequent. So that's really neat to hear. So we're always glad to have uh, folks visit Washington County and and Brighton and and uh, Washington proper as well. So thank you for that. You bet. Now uh, I have noticed, and it's it's been this way for a while now that uh, Impact Life is a new name. It is a new name. Yes, it, it changed in uh, May of 2021, and uh, it's kind of a complicated explanation. But in a nutshell, just to keep things simple. Um, we had uh, acquired or merged with many blood centers over like a decade. And I think then part of the the deal was they wanted to retain their name for recognition with their set of donors. Or um, So uh, at, at the time that all of that expired, then we were able to just merge under one name and then not have all those listed on our bags and you know, it was just complicated for our hospitals as well as we're sending product. You know, why are there so many names? Uh, so now I'm happy to report it's not Mississippi Valley Regional Blood Center anymore, which is a mouthful, um, but also that um, it's a very simple name. It's our mission. We impact life um, by bringing in voluntary donors to, um, you know, help local hospitals. Um, which is a, a really great thing. So um, I think we used to go to national conferences in the past, and people would always presume that we were from the state of Mississippi. Um, uh, if you're not not close to the Mississippi River, you probably don't even know what the Mississippi River Valley is. Um, so just removing that geographic reference um, and then just making it a very simple um, one word, um, impact life. So um uh, I really, I really like the change. It's, it's really simplified things for us. It definitely makes sense when you, when you explain it like that, for sure. Now, Mississippi Valley Regional Blood Center now impact life. How long has it been in existence? Do you know that? So, um, well, I can tell you, generally speaking, um, blood banking has been around for about 40 years. Um, so. We had um, two blood centers in the Quad Cities, the Rock Island and Scott County blood banks, and they merged into one um, about that timeline, probably 35 years ago, and then became uh, 
conglomerate or, you know, a, a merged um, two entities into one and then became Mississippi Valley Regional Blood Center. And then we kind of grew from there. Um, currently, we I've only been on board for 15 of those years, but, um, you know, long enough to uh, really um, be a part of that expansion and growth. And so we service about 126 hospitals now in Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Missouri. That's incredible. And how many different blood centers throughout that region are there? That's probably, that's a little bit of a loaded question for me. I apologize. I'm not our marketing person, but um, (laughs) so I know a little bit more on the hospital side, the patient side. I'm not exactly sure beyond our 126 service hospitals, um, how many other blood centers, but we're the primary supplier in that neck of the woods. And then, you know, if you go to like Des Moines, for example, then there's LifeServe, which is a large blood center um, in the Des Moines area. And then, of course, there's other um, blood centers like Cedar Rapids, for example. You know, they used to have um, blood centers that used to be the model in hospitals. But then Uh over the years, it just became too complicated for the hospitals to have their own. So then other blood centers emerged and then kind of took care of those responsibilities for the hospitals. So we now provide them blood, but, you know, they're not drawing at the at the hospital and having to test right. it and part it and all of those responsibilities. Well, I was looking at the website uh, beforehand, before our conversation, sure. and I think I counted at least 22 okay. areas where you can actually go to the blood center. But your right. expertise is the, the mobile part where you bring the, the blood center to the donors. Sure. I'm sorry. So you were asking about how many donor centers we have. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, under Impact Life, you're correct that 22 is the magic number. I thought you were asking about other um, blood centers in the area that are oh, providing I... blood kind of in our region. Oh, okay. Well, hey, now we got both answers. Well, I know that you're going to be here in Washington County in January. You're going to be at the Washington Public Library. I know I got that information from Tammy Valentine at the uh, at the library. And can you tell us uh, when that actual, the date of that blood drive is and how people here can get, be a part of that? Sure. Um, let's see. So um, they are, we are going to be um, in Washington actually a couple of times that week, which I know sounds strange, but it's two different time frames. So on Monday, so Martin Luther King Day, January the 16th, we'll be out at Washington County um, Extension Office in Dalmeyer Hall, and the okay. 4-H is hosting their blood drive from 3 to 7. And then if that timeline doesn't work for you because maybe you're working out of the area, you know, you wouldn't be back in time, or just your schedule doesn't allow, then the public library is hosting a blood drive the following day from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. And it's the first time for them hosting. So um, we'll be upstairs on the second floor in their conference room spaces. Now, will you so be I, there at those events? Uh, um, so it depends. Um, uh, my intention is to be at both of those drives. Um, it's, you know, an hour and a half from the Quad Cities both ways. So right. um, so it just kind of depends how my schedule shakes out that week and what else is going on. Typically, yes, I would come to a first-time drive 
like the drive at the public library. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, the space there is beautiful. Uh, I know I've been there for smaller meetings before, but I didn't know that they had the larger spaces available upstairs. So <clears throat> they're very, um, it's lovely. And I, I would imagine they're probably utilized a great deal by people in well, Washington. That is for sure. I know I've been to several events there myself. And actually, I'm signed up to donate blood that day. So I'm looking forward to hopefully saying hello to you in person. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, can you tell us, uh, for folks that you know, might have heard this before or, and don't always remember everything they hear or people that have <laughs> never heard it before, <laughs> um, can you share how a donated pint of blood may be used? Sure. Um, so basically, um, once you, let's just use you since you're going to come in and donate on the 17th. Um, so we would collect uh, approximately uh, a pint or a pound of blood. I don't know, roughly uh, a can of soda. (laughs) I know Uh that's a terrible analogy, right? We're not going to drink it, but uh, (laughs) it ends up in one of our bags. And depending on the drive, we would either have three bags or four bags that would all be connected by tubing. So um, it's a system that allows... um, for safety so no bacteria can enter the bags but when we get it back to the blood center then we can start the process of <clears throat> excuse me filtering out all the white cells or about 98% of the white cells and that's just kind of through a gravity filter um, so if you think it's hanging on a pole uh, halfway down the tubing there's like a little um, plastic filter that then um, filters out those white cells and then um, once that's completed, then we would take it into, it uh, looks kind of like a washing machine, but it's really a centrifuge. And then we would spin that bag of blood and separate it into components, which is why having those bags connected is easy. Um, so uh, just kind of in layman's terms, the red cells sink to the bottom, the plasma floats to the top of the bag, and then the platelets kind of hover in the middle of the two. So it basically separates it by weight of the product, and then we can express those three products into separate bags. So when we say one unit of blood can impact three lives, we're talking about red cells, platelets, and plasma. And sometimes we'll do a fourth bag, and then out of the plasma, we'll create a product that most people have never heard of. It's called cryoprecipitate. We make it out of the plasma. And... um, in the past, it was used almost exclusively for uh, orthopedic surgeries, but now um, they're able to use it for other types of things like uh, cardiac surgeries. So um, so it's also a great product to have. It just, again, depends if we're doing like the triple or the quad bag, whether you can impact three patients or four patients. So I always think that's very exciting. I've been a donor since I was in high school. And uh, I was in charge of the blood drive at good old Rock Island High School, and I wanted to be the first person to (laughs) donate the day of the drive because I was in charge. So um, I've been donating ever since, and uh, and that is where a lot of first-time donors come from is when we're at high schools like Washington High School or the surrounding areas, you know, Columbus Community High School, um, all of kind of my neck of the woods in Cedar, Muscatine, Washington, and Louisa County. 
um, I have the pleasure of working with all those high schools. So that's typically where we see those first-time donors getting involved. And then in a community like yours, the beauty is then we hope that they'll come to the community drives as well. And, right. uh, you know, continue donating beyond their high school years. Um, if they're sticking around the area, you know, sometimes they leave and go away to college. And usually we have drives available at their colleges too. But then if they come home and settle down, I know some people do in Washington. Some like to, you know, try their wings and, and check right. out other parts of the country. But, um, but yeah. So. That's, so that's how you figure out that where the best place to live is. <laughs> that's Did you right. Come back? Then you come back. That's right. I mean, I went to the University of Iowa, but it was good. You know, when you're young, you just want to travel and try new things. And I nannied for a couple of years in Boston and Minneapolis. And then eventually I was like, God, I can't afford to live in any of these places, you know, right. long term. Um, so eventually I came back home and, you know, got married, and started a family here. And um, happily so, I, you know, wanted my daughter to know her family and extended family. Um, as opposed to live far away, you know, and you can only see them once or twice a year. So, uh, I totally, totally relate to that. And I also relate to my very first time that I donated blood. I was in high school at Pleasant Valley High School. Oh, in the okay. in the, sure. Yeah. And uh, um, in fact, I wasn't quite old enough yet because yeah, I was I was one of the younger kids in my senior class. So, I was uh, 17 when I donated, and I know I had to get special permission from my parents to said it was okay back way back then. Sure. So, so is it, um, what, what is the age now for high schoolers? That's a great question. So um, 16 years old, you need mom and dad's permission. Theoretically, you could give six times during that year. So every time you donate, you'd need a new permission slip. Just, you know, since there's a possibility of a reaction, um, high school students don't always prepare well for their donations. So right. we just want mom and dad to be on board every single time. And then once you turn 17, you can decide for yourself if you want to continue coming out and, you know, saving lives. Most mm -hmm. of the time, I think the students I talk to, a lot of them are pleasantly surprised that it was better than they expected it to be, like less painful. They felt fine. But it is not uncommon for a first-time donor if you, maybe you haven't eaten enough or had enough water prior to your donation, that you might feel a little hot or, um, I guess, woozy, for lack of a better description. Um, but that's kind of that fight-or-flight response. Right. And your body thinks like, whoa, what's happening? Why are we losing blood so quickly? We must be injured. And then it kind of tries to shut things down and slow that loss of blood. But, and then also um, probably nerves just being nervous about absolutely it. yeah just kind of the fear of the unknown or the only things you've heard from your friends is like oh, don't you know don't throw up or don't pass out because yeah. you know yeah. high school kids are so nice to each other right yeah all the time yeah they always they'll come over to the refreshment area and be like hey you look kind of pale are you feeling okay and I'm like stop it stop that behavior <laughs> Um, yeah. They were feeling fine two minutes ago. So, um, so yes, less than 1% of people donating have a reaction, but it's very common in a first-time donor. And uh, that's the great thing. You know, we have staff available. Typically, um, the antidote or the cure, um, usually it comes and goes as fast as it came to the donor. It kind of goes away just as quickly. But, you know, a little sugar or juice, um, 
sometimes elevation of their legs, a little bit of ice, sometimes a fan, um, and then it cools them right down. And I always say after your first time donating, you know, you might feel a little more tired that day. Um, it makes perfect sense that you're a pint low and your body's trying to regulate all the things it did before. Um, but within 24 hours, most people feel back to themselves. And then we don't let you donate again for 56 days because we want your body to replenish all those red blood cells that you just happily donated to, you know, our blood center, which then can benefit patients locally and regionally. So, um, so yeah, I always think I'm a big um, sustainability or tree hugger, green person, you know, um, all of those things. So I think it is amazing that you can kind of give, if you will, your old discarded blood can be, you know, turned into three or four products to help other patients. And then amazingly, your body will make more. So then two months down the road, you can do it again and again and again and again if you choose to. Exactly. And you get to you get the the great feeling of knowing you're going to help a fellow human being or two or three fellow exactly. human beings. And then yeah. on top of that, uh usually you get a cookie and some juice or a pop afterwards too. That's right. I always say you get a little pat on the back, a thank you and some cookies. Yeah. Um and you know, amazingly when your body, you know, you're getting those fresh oxygenated red cells. So most people 24 hours after a donation actually feel really good, um, you know, because they've got that, that influx of cells happening. So, which is really good for your body, kind of like a grease job and oil change, you know, for a yeah. vehicle. So your body's no different. And um, yeah. So to speak. Yeah. It's, um, it's a sustainable thing. Um, you know, not, you know, everybody is different. So, you know, some people might do fine giving six times a year, but as we get older, sometimes our red cells are a little slower to regenerate. So sometimes then I would say, well, you know, maybe four is your sweet spot, maybe three. You know, you kind of have to know your body. Most people sort of figure it out because when you come in, you know, we're going to check your pulse, your um, blood pressure, your temperature, and then your hemoglobin or kind of that iron level. And uh, so, you know, 12.5 is where you have to be to donate if you're female and 13.0 if you're male. So if you don't make the cut, you know, that um, level can fluctuate daily, but sometimes that's an indicator maybe that your body's going to take a little bit longer than those 56 days. So then I just tell people, well, maybe, you know, maybe just try it again in two months and see, right. you know, where where you're at. So, um, so you kind of have to figure that out for yourself. Um, some people have no problem at all. We still have like 90-year-old farmers, you know, um, in Muscatine County that, come in and donate, you know, they're not on any medications that would defer them. They feel fine after they donate. They can get around, you know, get to the blood drive, get up on the bed, you know, get home yeah. with no issues. So, um, well, that and, would be, you know, someone who is in need of blood, that might be some of the best blood to get. It sounds like. That's right. Well, you know, there's no upper age limit, you know, you have to be 16 with mom and dad's permission, but the nice thing is then, you know, you don't really age out. Um, but at some point, you know, people, they do develop health issues, you know, where the doctor's like, maybe you should not do this anymore, or they're taking a medication that perhaps defers them. So then, you know, I always say, well, if nothing else, just pass the baton on, you know, to a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, you know, somebody in your community um, that maybe doesn't know the importance of blood, 
And this person obviously has, you know, been a supporter of our mission for decades. Um, <laughs> if you're 90 years old, probably yeah. for like seven decades. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, a lot of times donors come in and the reason that they give is um, they want to help someone else. Um, but many, many times there is a family story. Um, someone in their family needed blood. And then that was maybe the first time that they knew the importance, you know, right. that Uncle Uncle Bob or their cousin Jenny or whatever that story is. And I have to tell you, um, I, I actually was new to my job maybe three months, and I'd been to Washington twice for community drives. And I was in town a little early before the blood drive, and I was sitting outside of Dodici's just having my lunch kind of by where the park is and check in some emails. But I think it was the colder months because my windows were rolled up and somebody came and startled me and knocked on my window. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a city girl. I was like, what does this person want? And so I, I rolled down my window just a tiny bit and he said, hey, do you have a minute for a story? And I was like, um, about what? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, about blood in my family. And I was like, oh, sure. And I like got out of the car and you know, so he told me about um, his mom had um, had a struggle with cancer. Um, so largest user of blood products in the U.S. are cancer patients, 18% of all transfusions. So no shocker there. And uh, he said, you know what, she, in the end, sadly, did not, she did not beat her cancer. But due to, you know, like selfless blood donors, um, that she received blood transfusions regularly just to help her get through her her day. You know, when you're battling cancer, sometimes that hemoglobin really drops. And so an infusion of red cells can almost make people feel no normal within 30 minutes even. And so he said, you know what, we had a year of family memories that we wouldn't have had if it wouldn't have been for these, you know, six wow. donors um, who we'll never meet or be able to thank. But I just wanted to thank you for all that you do to help families stay whole. And I, you know, about cried. Yeah. And he said, can I give you a hug? And I was like, well, I don't really know you, but okay, how about a, a side one? <laughs> 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 and uh, so then, and I saw him at the community blood drives after that, and he'd always come over and say hi. And so, um, so that was great. I mean, my job is really about warm fuzzies. I mean, granted, his story is a perfect one. Not all stories, sadly, you know, and happily. Right. But without the blood, um, they wouldn't have had another, you know, year with their moms. So, so that yeah. makes makes me feel like what we do um, does really make a difference to families in Washington. It, you know, in this case, it truly does. And it, you know, for folks listening, right there, there's reason enough to come to the blood drive on January 17th. Did I get that right? That's correct. Yep, Tuesday okay. the 17th. Yeah, right there. Well, hey, I've got a question. You know, being yeah. a long-time blood donor myself, I'm almost to 15 gallons. Almost. Outstanding. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, and, yeah thank you. It's, and, and I do it for the same reasons that you you just mentioned. My my dad was a blood donor, and and uh, he donated because a member of our family need needed and still needs to this day products that are from blood. And um, so I do it for that reason too, and continue to do it. And uh, and for all, and even not just for family members, but for our community and for folks that need it. So my question is, yeah. um, sometimes when I donate blood, this has happened to me. 
Um, what happens to the blood that is collected that not may not be a full pint due to blood coagulating around the needle or the needle that gets out of the vein? Is it still used or is that effort ended there? Because you're, you're, you're on that table and you're looking and you can see that, that pouch filling up. And then, you know, I've had a couple times where that's happened. Does sure. that blood still get used in some form? So, um, so interesting you should bring that up because that's a recent change that we've made. So in the past, the answer was no. Um, and the bag has already got the anticoagulant in it. So if you didn't fill the bag, then the mix would not be right. And so mm -hmm. then it couldn't be transfused to patients safely. Um, so then it would be discarded. But now we don't take all units that that happens, but we can do what's called a low volume now. So if you don't get the full amount, but you're darn close, um, then we can still utilize that and then um, transfuse those components to patients. So, so well, good news what... for someone who's, you know, super close, but just yeah. doesn't quite get the job done because, like you said, maybe you clotted. Mm -hmm. um, or um, sometimes it can be it's not a perfect stick, and, you know, FDA has a requirement if you don't fill your bag by 15 minutes, then most likely – you won't fill the bag, so then sometimes we have to take that needle out. And we always feel bad because, you know, we want everyone to have a successful experience and donation, but sometimes it does hinge on what you did before you came in. So I always tell people, you know, figure out what's good for you. You know, is eating a couple right. hours before you come in good? Is, you know, hydration maybe adding an extra, you know, the equivalent of a water bottle three days before you come in, kind of plump those veins up, make right. them easy for us to find and get a good stick. Um, all those things can kind of help you um, and help us um, so that, you know, the donor doesn't walk away feeling like, man, I took one for the team and I still, you know, they can't use my, my blood. So, yeah. um, so, so that's exciting that we're able to utilize low volume um, within the past yeah. 15 years that I've worked for the blood center. That wasn't the case. So, so we're well, we're doing our darndest to try and, you know, make the most of all those products walking in the door and, um, you know, trying to be a good steward of them and help as many people as we can. Uh, that is wonderful because, you know, I, I've had a couple times where that's happened and you leave there thinking, wow. I, did, <laughs> not, not, I came, not I did all my things. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Was, I, you know, got poked with the needle, did all that, right. and now they're not going to be able to use that. Yes. And you just feel so dejected, and it's like, yes, I've definitely had that happen before myself. And then, yeah. you know, you ask the question, well, now what happens to it? And then it's like, well, you know, if we're being honest, you know, we'll have to discard yeah. the product. But we we really appreciate you coming out. We want you to come again. But that yeah, is a oh, hard pill to swallow for the donor yeah. who's like, man, you know, yeah, so I still now, get my yeah. juice and cookies, but you, I don't exactly. feel good because I didn't save any lives. Right. It just doesn't taste the same, you know. Right. <laughs> it's not but a sweet experience, yes. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's great news. That's really wonderful because I'm sure I'm not the only one and you're not the only no, one. No, definitely to, so. not. So that's wonderful. Unfortunately, it just happens. So I always tell people I'm an educator, you know, by trade. So, you know, the more you can do to be proactive on the front end and really do your prep um, before you come in, then – you know, then you're putting the onus on us to do a good job and get a good stick and, you know, fill right. that Please bag up so we can help do their people. Part. Yes. Yeah. 
That's for sure. Well, hey, lots of organizations and businesses and schools, churches, and so many others were affected by the pandemic. How was uh, blood donations and donors affected during that time? And what's changed since then? Sure. I mean, that is a great question. I I still remember, you know, when the pandemic kind of um, started to happen. So I'm an Illinois resident. um, So it was a very different experience for us, at least initially. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember um, I have a a daughter who's a nurse and um, I guess she would have been about 21 at the time. And um, she went with her friends to Chicago um, for St. Patty's Day in 2020. And I remember the governor of Illinois saying, I'm asking you all to stay home. We don't know what this is. And, you know, if you don't do what I'm telling you, I'm going to shut the state down. (laughs) And that is precisely what he did because, you know, um, my daughter and her friends included did not uh or other (laughs) probably hundreds or thousands of people that were young and just wanted to have a good time, you know, just decided that he doesn't know what he's talking about. So, um, then I remember my boss saying, um, yeah, so there's this coronavirus. We don't really know what it is, but, you know, maybe just <clears throat> pack up your laptop and take it home. I'm sure it'll just be a couple days or something, you sure. know, that you won't be at work. And, uh, you know, nobody knew at that point in time really what we were going to be facing for years. I mean, we're almost, you know, on year three now. So, um so, yes, things changed pretty quickly. You know, initially, I, I just remember um, I had a, a drive that went every month um, in Kelowna, Iowa, so Washington County, so among the Amish. And it was really an Amish-only drive for the Amish churches there. And in March, um, we had the drive. It was right around the time that things were starting to happen. And no masking was required at that point. And I remember in April, April, that following month, our staff had to wear masks. And then by May, we were asking donors to wear masks as, you know, things were really kind of spinning out of control with um, COVID. So um, so that that's just a little snapshot in time of how, like, that evolution started. And um, I think the month of May, I had to cancel almost all of my blood drives because hospitals weren't transfusing blood. They were so busy with COVID patients and ventilators and all of those things that they were doing no elective surgeries. I mean, they just didn't want anyone else in the hospital other than the people that were, you know, potentially dying. So um, so that was kind of our all-time low. And then fairly quickly, um, some groups trended back up. I would say... Um, Obviously, when there's no students at a school or people are, you know, doing online learning, there was no way for us to really be at the high schools at that Mm -hmm. time, especially the first year. Some came back online the second year, um, and then obviously that's continued to improve or kind of get back to what our normal was. I don't think we're quite there, but we're working on it. Um, So I would say businesses, um, the same was true. Many of people like myself were then working from home, you know, kind of a different uh, working model than we had had in the past. And um, so many of those businesses couldn't host because no one was there. And then a year later, some of them were still not there or on some kind of a hybrid schedule. And that still is something we're continuing to see. There are obviously like industrial jobs where you have to be there to get the job done. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
they were more likely to be hosting. Um, but I would say our kind of bread and butter at that early time of uncertainty, um, but still time of need, um, when we approached like June of 2020, um, those churches and community groups. So in Washington, it would be, you know, your every two-month rotation that exists, you know, the Rotary Club, the Lions Club, the Knights of Columbus, the AM Kiwanis Club, the Optimist Club, the Noon Kiwanis Club, you know, those were the groups that were really, you know, in hosting at the United Presbyterian Church in your community or the Knights of Columbus Hall. I mean, those were the groups that said, yes, we'll wear a mask and yes, we'll still come and donate because we know that the need is still important and, um, you know, a lot of people are not able to, maybe because they're at risk, you know, that they've got some underlying issues, you know, that, or, I mean, just a lot of elderly people. Um, for example, we have 125 volunteers at our blood center. Um, they drive for us. They do all sorts of tasks, you know, make sure people get juice and cookies at our center or get them registered when they walk in the door. And many of them, you know, were not able to come out just, you know, um, personal concerns for their, you know, health and well-being um, right. before va vaccines were available. And, you know, no one really knew what this was. And um, so, yeah, there was a lot of fear and, you know, uncertainty because people just didn't have the answers they needed to feel safe. So, so yeah, it was a crazy, and it's still, we have lifted the mask requirement. That is now optional for people. You can certainly wear one if it makes you feel more comfortable it's not anything that's required for donors or our staff. Um, but if a donor would come in and want our staff who is in close quarters with them, you know, checking their pulse, blood pressure, temperature, hemoglobin, and then drawing them on the bed, if they feel more comfortable, they can ask us to wear a mask, and we'll happily do that. Well, right so there, that sums it up that uh, you've made it uh, accessible for everybody in our current time and Folks that aren't comfortable wearing masks can come in and be comfortable and donate, and people that are more comfortable with masks can also do the same. That's right. So, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like we're slowly coming, you know, out on the other side. Um, but um, I guess, you know, when Dr. Fauci and other experts were saying, like, hey, this isn't the first pandemic we've seen. It will literally be three years before we come out on the other end. and you know, I, I didn't believe it. I mean, I've never lived through a pandemic. I thought there's no way this is going to go on for three years. Right. But so, uh, so happy to report, you know, um, I, I know lots of people lost lots of loved ones. I mean, my husband lost his mother during COVID and um, it wasn't easy for any of us. I mean, some people passed away during these three years and it wasn't COVID related, you know, but it was still difficult to have an opportunity to go say goodbye and you know, have kind of closure because the rules and regulations around all of the social distancing and masking and, you know, um, a lot of that really impacted those rituals that we have in our life, not just donating, but so many other things. So I think I think it would be safe to say it was a, a big challenge for all of us to navigate the last three years. I, I It was, and I, I commend you for for all that you and your organization were able to do during that time and keep uh the importance of the the blood flow the, the life that throws flows through our community as part of your uh your uh slogan 
if I said that correct. So you, you guys did a, did a good job with that. So, well, was well, there thank any, you. Thank you. We you're appreciate welcome. that. And uh, Chris, was there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? I mean, I, this has been a fascinating conversation to me, but if there's one other thing that I should have asked, please let me know. Well, I love to um, share a little story. So um, I'm kind of a, I like to compare apples to apples. So um, when I come and speak to uh, groups that are hosting blood drives in Washington, um, like the big six that are, uh, I mentioned earlier, that are hosting every two months. So it's the same pool of donors that they're asking to give, but it's a different service group doing the calling and the cookies and, you know, making sure the church or the Knights of Columbus Hall is available. And um, when occasionally, you know, before the blood drive, they like me to come and educate their group, but also kind of get them fired up and, you know, excited to do either some calling or texting or using social media to get people out, you know, putting up posters in the area, you know, getting announcements on KCII or, you know, a little free blip in the Washington Evening Journal. So, um, so one of the groups, I don't know why, I just always like to talk about something different. Um, I have a little ADD, so I don't want to come and just, you know, regurgitate the same information over and over and over. Um, and I've talked to a lot of these groups um, once a year for 15 years. So I always want to bring them something new. And I said, you know, I'm curious, since I live in Silvis, Illinois, and it's about 7,200 people, you know, I think Washington's about 7,600. So pretty comparable communities. And uh, I said, I'm just curious to see what the differential is and what your community, the city of Washington, collects versus Silvis. So I showed that with one of the groups when I was speaking, and they just couldn't believe it. And I uh, felt really defeated because I live in Silvis, Illinois. And we were only collecting about 100 units a year here. Would you like to take take a stab at how many units? It's a three-digit number um, that you're collecting in Washington. Holy cow. Well, I'm going to say I know the people of southeast Iowa are very generous. I'm going to say 999. Wow. that's So you're pretty close. So it was like a little over 800, like about 820 wow. units. Um, so the national average for people donating is about 5% which is why we're always saying, will you give, will you give, will you give? Because the pool of donors is so small. Um, yeah. But I'm happy to report in the entire county, but in particular <clears throat> the city of Washington, that percentage is 20%. So wow. <laughs> you hit it right on, you know, the nail on the head when you said people of Southeast Iowa are very generous. I would 100% agree. And um, one last little tidbit about that. So um, when I started at the blood center, my boss came by again, I was like three months on the job and she said, Hey, so um, I'd like you to nominate somebody that um, you feel deserves a national award. And I thought, Oh Lord, I haven't even worked with all my groups yet, but mm -hmm. I had been to Washington twice for the rotation drive. And I said, well, you know, there isn't really a category for this, but I'm just going to nominate them anyway. And, you know, when you start looking at those percentages, like 20% of the community is donating. So yeah. you received a national award in Washington, D.C. Wow. And, uh, and so and, uh, the groups all nominated Yale Jarvis. I don't know if you knew Yale when he was alive, but mm -hmm. uh, retired sheriff. And um, 
funny guy. Uh, so the two of us hopped on a plane along with other people from the blood center and went to Washington, DC for, you know, a whirlwind presentation. And he got up and accepted the national award on behalf of the city of Washington. So that would have been close to 15 years ago now. So really, so you've incredible. received, yes, national recognition um, for what you're doing in your community. And I think the, the best thing to know is, you know, your hospital, Washington County Hospitals and Clinics, um, they probably utilize two to 300 units per year uh, as oh, far wow. as transfusing patients. So when you think you're collecting almost 1,000 units, you're taking care in a of that year's hospital. time. You're taking yeah. care of the whole hospital, but then, you know, the surrounding community. So some of those hospitals in, you know, Muscatine and Burlington, Quad Cities. Um, so it's always nice to say, yes, we want to help local hospitals, but maybe if you have family a little bit beyond those parameters, we might be, you know, helping the hospitals that would be providing blood to them as well. So. Well, sure. For, yeah. That's, that's that's just wonderful. That's that's great. This has been a, a great conversation, and I encourage everybody that hears this podcast to uh, get a hold of the Washington Public Library, ask for Tammy Valentine, and get signed up for the blood drive on January 17th. Yes, that would be great. I know she wants to have a successful drive since it's the first one, and um, so yeah, she could use your help and definitely, you know, all of our hospitals and the patients they serve could use your help as well. So. All right. Well, once again, Chris Chastow, you are the uh, Impact Life's Community Health Educator. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This has been Southeast Iowa Today on Round Guy Radio, and it's brought to you by Griner Auto Body of Washington, Iowa, using state-of-the-art techniques and decades of experience to get your car back on the road after an accident, and Car Doctor of Washington, Iowa. No matter who Frankensteined it, they can fix and clean and customize it. I'm your host, John Bain, and I thank you for listening.